Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Hello and welcome to episode 19. Thank you for joining me again this week. I need to find another word besides excited because I I feel like I'm starting every podcast with I'm so excited to share with you, but it's true. I'm super excited to share this with you today. You're going to get the chance to hear a fascinating conversation with Heather Dane. Heather is known as a 21st century medicine woman. Personally, she is my go-to. Every time I've had something wrong, I don't feel good, she's the person that I call. And a lot of what she has shared with me has had such a profound impact on my life, which is why I am so happy that she was willing to come on the podcast and just share so candidly about everything. We talk about even the mentality around health and wellness. We talk about bone broth, which is something that we're hearing a lot about, and it definitely feels like one of those food fads, but it made a massive difference in my health when I was sick. And so if you're looking at this whole bone broth trend and you're a little skeptical, have an open mind, check it out, because I've personally seen the impact it's had on my body, and it's been fantastic. So she shares some of the bone broth secrets, which are from her new book, The Bone Broth Secret. She wrote this book with Louise Hay, the godmother of affirmations. This woman is really a pioneer in the world of self-help and self-love. She's written two books with Louise Hay. One, the latest one is The Bone Broth Secret, and the other health is love the other book, excuse me, is Loving Yourself to Great Health thoughts, and food, the ultimate diet. So in our time together, she talks about the power of thoughts, the power of food, and enjoy it. Definitely worth having a pen and paper. We have some great things. Uh, We have a recipe that she's given us and a very cute picture of her cat in the notes. So that's the tappingsolution.com forward slash notes. And again, if you love this interview, let me know. This whole podcast is an act of love. If you're enjoying it, I love to hear from you. So you can connect with me on Facebook or uh, on right here on the blog. Just leave me a comment, spread it to people that you love. This interview is a real gift. I personally enjoyed it and I hope you do too. So we are just gonna jump in because I record an intro later. Okay. You know what you're doing. I, kind of. I pretend I do and people think I do, so it works out. Um, but so welcome, Heather. Thank you. I'm I'm thrilled that you are here. And so today we're going to be talking about health. We're going to be talking about food. But when people think about these two topics, the word diet often comes up. And as you know, um, I am not a fan of dieting. I think that whole mentality uh, can be really toxic. So how can you approach wanting to transform your health, wanting to eat better without getting caught up in that mentality of just stressing out and dieting and looking for the quick fix, uh, you know, to, to lose weight? That's a big and a really great question, Jess. 
I think that if I were to go back to my experience of recovery 15 years ago, I was a binge eater and, and I was I had bulimia and I had a lot of cravings and I was a calorie counter. I really believed that the calories in, calories out that people talk about. And I was very rigid with the amount of calories that I thought I could eat during a day and I would be really upset if I blew it, which happened a lot. It was very difficult to stay within this rigid amount because I didn't know at the time that my body actually knows when what I need and when I need it. When we are going through life, our circumstances change on a day-to-day basis. Maybe we're traveling, maybe we have a stressful period at work or something like that where our the needs of our body, the caloric needs of our body actually change. And what I had to do in my recovery process was really learn to trust my body and go with my normal appetite instead of trying to suppress. And I think that that's what happens most of the time when we believe that we have to control what we're eating. We're trying to control something very natural in our body, the appetite that is there to keep us feeling our best and to keep our blood sugar strong. When we try to control the appetite and we're hungry, What ends up happening is that it affects our willpower and decision-making because when blood sugar goes down, all of the studies that have been done on willpower have found that willpower and blood sugar are paired. Mm -hmm. And so when blood sugar goes down, willpower goes down, decision-making goes down. And now all of a sudden, it's very difficult to really stick to the goals that you've set for yourself, whether it's for how you want to eat or anything else. So I think that the first thing I had to learn how to do was trust my appetite and trust my body. And this is where I love things like tapping, Jess, everything that you teach in your book and in all of your work, where when we get to a point where we're not feeling like we can trust ourselves, if we do something like tapping and affirmations and meditations, we can, it's a little bit easier to learn that it's okay to trust your body. So that was my biggest issue was that I had to learn how to do that. And every day I had to say to myself, I trust my body to take care of me. I trust my body to, I trust my appetite. And when I was recovering, I was eating so, I ate enough for a family of four. Now I was eating whole foods. I was eating a lot of vegetables. I was eating, you know, a very natural diet that had nothing to do with things coming out of cans and boxes. I made everything myself and I ate a lot and it scared me. I kept thinking, oh my gosh. And I had no sort of, I had no idea how to turn off this, this appetite that it was, that scared me so much. And what ended up happening was at the same time that I was eating these whole foods and listening to my body and trusting my appetite, my body, my body weight regulated naturally. And I was amazed and surprised that this was happening. And so it helped a little bit because one of the things that Michael Lozier says in Law of Attraction is when you have doubt, the best way to get rid of doubt is to find proof. And so I trusted my body and I watched the process and I noticed that my weight began to regulate itself. And I started to trust it even more. And as I started to allow my appetite to guide me to keeping my blood sugar stable and strong, I didn't have cravings anymore. I didn't want to binge eat anymore. I just was really going with how can I stay grounded and balanced in this moment. 
I also trusted that if I was hungry between meals, instead of judging myself for that, that it, it was probably my blood sugar that needed to be stabilized and I would have a snack. And the more I listened and the more I trusted, the easier it was for me to eat whatever I wanted. And I found that it felt like I was breaking free out of a prison. This prison of calories and this prison of everybody else's rules became follow my body. My body will guide me. It always takes care of me. And, and that process helped me trust my hunger, my appetite, and even the cravings that I had for food, knowing that I would be drawn to the foods that were actually helping me heal. Right. And I think it's important to mention that the process of beginning to trust your body, it's not like one day you wake up and you feel enlightened and suddenly you can trust your body and everything is smooth. It's it's really, I mean, at least for me, it was a journey of experimenting yes. and learning and figuring out how things made me feel after I ate them without the excess judgment around the situation. Yes, exactly. I think that's such a great point because I found that I had to say affirmations and tap a lot during this process every day while I was learning to trust. And because we've been conditioned for so many years. I mean, I, I started my recovery process in my early 30s. And so for 30 years, I had been conditioned to believe this, that food is not our friend and that you have to control it and be careful of it and that you can't trust your appetite. So learning to trust it was a day-by-day basis for me. And every time I was scared, which happened quite a bit in the beginning, I would do things to remind myself that I could trust myself and that it was going to be okay. And I decided that if I didn't experiment with trusting, I was never going to know. Yes. And one of the reasons I thought it was so important to start our conversation today with this topic is because you do have some incredible tools on and different things that we can eat that can can support us and things that I have done and tested myself and I've had great results, which is why I'm so excited to have you on the show today. But I needed to start, we needed to start with that conversation or else this turns into what everybody hears, which is more food advice that seems more confusing. Yes. So here is some advice that we're sharing, but with the intention of saying, this needs to be your experiment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's it's funny, Jess, because I've never been in all the years I've been coaching, and I it's been over 10 years now, and I've I've watched my clients have really amazing results. And I I discovered over the years that I'm not the person who somebody calls their friend and says, I had an overnight result. That has happened, but it's not the norm. The norm, what I find is that teaching people how to trust themselves and trust their body and trust their appetite is not sexy because it's not the thing that happens overnight. What it does though, is it changes your life forever. If you're willing to stick with it and take the little steps every day and keep working on reminding yourself, it changes, it changes lives in ways that uh, are, are rock solid and much stronger than sometimes what I see when somebody has a, a magic result that happens overnight. We forget that there is a lot to be said for those little steps that we take every day mm-hmm. and the big changes that they can make over time. And what I really love about you and your work is that you are a researcher. You love to investigate. And it's not only your own work, but you have shared that spirit with me. So I have come to you when I've had health problems and I've always left feeling like, 
wow, this is an opportunity to discover because my body is unlike anybody else's body. And so you really take this approach of there's not this one plan that works for everybody, but the more that you can learn about your own body, the better decisions that you can make. And we have to have that understanding that just because something worked for our friend, it doesn't mean it's going to work for us and, and the other way around. Exactly. And that that's a, a really good point for all of us to embrace because now we know from the Human Genome Project, from Bruce Lipton's work in epigenetics, and from the work that's happening today around nutrigenomics, which is the practice that I use with my clients, we know that genetics are only responsible for 5% of our health. However, genetics, that 5% tells us what we're susceptible to. It's the 95% of how we're living our lives, the food we're eating, the thoughts we're thinking, our lifestyle, our stress levels that determine the susceptibility. So if I'm burning the candle at both ends, like I was when I was back in my executive job and in, in, in my corporate job, I was you know, not getting a lot of sleep. I was stressed out. I was eating, eating on the run. And all of those habits that I had were pushing the the switches that turn on a genetic condition. On top of that, our microbiome, which is the bacteria, the mix of good and bacteria in the gut, can determine whether a switch, a genetic switch is turned on or turned off. And what feeds our bacteria is the food that we're eating, the thoughts that we're thinking, our stress levels, and our lifestyle. So research is showing that these bacteria act as auxiliary DNA. So we have a lot of things going for us to help us. Our bacteria is there to help us. But if we are assaulting it every day with stress and with sugar and poor food choices, then we're not helping the process. And that's when things start to break down. And that's when genetic switches start to turn on. I always say no blame for that. We're, we, health changes for a variety of reasons, and our stress levels change for a variety of reasons. But what this allows us to do is think, I have the power of my health in my own hands, and I am not like the two people sitting next to me. So when we learn to listen and trust what's happening in our body and follow the signals that our body is giving us when it comes to our food choices, it's a lot easier. We're our body's designed to do that. And we, if we come back to that place where we can reconnect to our innate ability to know what works for us, over a period of time, we start being drawn to the foods that are the most healing. Yeah. Yes. Well, and that's a key word, being drawn to. You know, one of the, um, something that I wrote in my book is every healthy choice is an act of gratitude for the life I've been given. Beautiful. Now, for many people, though, in a healthy act, doing something that's good for you feels like a burden. doesn't feel like they don't do it in the spirit of gratitude. They do it in the spirit of either wanting to lose weight or fix themselves. And so what power does a t intention have when it comes to, you know, where we're coming from when we take that healthy action? I think intentions have an incredible amount of power because they guide us towards a goal. And it's the willpower that gets in the way of us meeting the goal. So if if I have decided to burn the candle at both ends and be really stressed out, it's a lot harder to stick to it to a positive intention because at that point you're you're putting a band-aid, you're wanting to numb or put a band-aid on what is going on in your life. But I think that if we set an intention and the and one of those intentions is I'm going to take really good care of myself 
It could just be that simple. Today, I'm going to take really good care of myself. And or today, I'm going to stay in the stay with an attitude of gratitude. Having a very simple intention like that can really help a lot because every time you you are presented with an option, somebody asked you to go out tonight, but you're really tired. Instead of saying yes, because you want to please your friend or your colleague, you listen to yourself and say, I'm going to do what I need to do tonight, which is to get some rest. And every time we make a choice on behalf of ourselves like that, we listen to the inner call of our body. We're making a choice of self-care. And i got to tell you, Jess, autoimmune conditions are on the rise today. And the thing that's happening in an autoimmune condition is the body doesn't recognize itself. So even putting in something beneficial into the body, the body thinks that it's a scary, unsafe nutrient going into the body. And so the body comes in and an inflammatory response is created. And now we've got problems happening in the body. And with the autoimmune conditions, this is happening chronically. And it's causing all kinds of problems. And I really believe that it's when we don't listen to the things that we really want to do for ourselves. And when we say yes, when we want to say no, when we're doing work that doesn't feel right to us every day, when we are wishing we had a different lifestyle than we actually had, or maybe we have an intention, but we're every day we get up and we forget our intention. We're not really focused on it all day long. Whenever we're going away from loving choices for ourselves, the body starts to feel unsafe because what happens is a stress response is created. And it's, it's sort of a cell damage response in the body. When stress happens, if it happens a little bit, it's good for the body. If it happens chronically, it starts to just degrade the body and things start to break down. And so autoimmune conditions are a result of these things, us making choices on a regular basis that are not loving and not in support of our greatest good. And again, I say this without blame. I mean, many of us are just doing the best we know how to do. The choices that we need to make that are loving are often the risky, scary choices I'm afraid to leave that job because I don't know how to pay my bills. I'm afraid to say no to that person because they might not love me anymore. So all of these choices are often scary. And we, we pick what we think is the safe choice. But whenever the safe choice goes against what we want inside, we're creating that stress or cell damage response. And the body believes it's not safe. And now, no matter what we do, the body is conditioned to believe that nothing we're doing is safe. And now we have an inflammatory chronic stress response happening on a, on a regular basis. I think that the reason people heal, even from autoimmune conditions, when they start loving themselves and taking loving action and taking those scary, risky decisions that are actually self-nurturing and self-loving, they heal because the body is starting to say, okay, I am safe now. Now she's taking care of me. Right. You know, this is so powerful because it makes us it makes us realize the power that we have a lot of times when we're struggling with something a health condition or or weight or whatever it is it's easy to feel like a victim like i just got unlucky everybody else has this great body and mine's just not working right right and so when we get there though cuz sometimes we have those moments we have those weak moments where we just feel like man this isn't fair like i don't deserve this and we feel you know angry at our bodies we feel powerless and unlucky when we're in those moments, what do you recommend we do to help lift ourselves out of it? 
I think that that is a really great question because I and I know I've been there so many times. Even today, you know, there are times that I find myself in that place. And I what I typically do is look at how what my body can do because it's very easy to look at all of the things that are wrong with our bodies and forget how much we've healed over the years, how many things we've overcome. If we can look at our body and find just one thing that's going well, just one thing that we can love, that's a great step. The next step on top of that would be looking at the things that you don't love and seeing if you can love them. Even looking at yourself. You know, one, one day I, I realized while I was talking to my cat and I was telling my cat how much I loved him, I was like, oh, I love you and telling my cat this. And I had this feeling inside and I thought, with all the affirmations that I've said, I've never said them to myself the way I'm telling my cat how much I love him. Yeah. And I thought, okay, it's time for me to get real here and start feeling that feeling when I talk to myself. So if we could look at a child, a, a loved one, a pet, and say, you know, as we're saying that we love them and think about how much we care about them and ask ourselves, am I looking at myself with this kind of love? Would I judge my pet, my child, my spouse the way that I'm judging myself right now? And see if you could bring that feeling of love into your heart and, and shine it on yourself. In the beginning, when I started practicing that, it it was it was as if it, I could only hold the charge of that same love that I had for my cat for like a minute or less. And the more I practiced, the easier it was for me to start feeling that because I it was like there was an opening that happened where I thought, well, why not? Why not love myself that way? What does self love look like to you? In the sense of is self love a place with enough practice that we arrive to? Or is it a daily practice? I think it's a daily practice. And I know for me, it was really foreign. Many years ago, Louise Hay and I were talking about feeling good enough and how it's a lifelong process for everyone. And I think she was about maybe 82 at the time. And we were we, we decided that we were both going to practice, do a daily practice on feeling good enough. And I thought, how am I going to do this? We didn't talk about how we were going to do it. We just said, let's commit to a daily practice of, of knowing that we're good enough and feeling that we're good enough. And I thought as I was going through my daily life, there were things that I wouldn't even do for myself. Like I loved fresh ginger and I wasn't willing to take the time to chop it up for myself. So I wouldn't have it in my food because it might take me three minutes to chop it up. And I thought if I thought I were good enough, I would actually take the time to chop this ginger. Mm -hmm. If I thought I were good enough, I would actually say no when I meant no. I would not take that project that feels draining to me. And I started to ask myself with every choice that I was making, if I were good enough, what choice would I be making right now? And I didn't always make the right choices in the beginning. Sometimes I still gave in to, you know, are they going to love me if I say no to this? And sometimes I would say yes anyway. But the more I practiced, the less I did that. And the more my, then my body was trusting me. My body was saying, because if I'm going to say yes to something that's going to stress me out and I'm going to be nervous or, or I'm going to have no time in my day because I'm running from the morning until the end of the day, 
that's a stress response. But when I say no, even though it's a great opportunity because inside my body is screaming, no, this, this doesn't feel right to me, suddenly I feel so safe and so supported. And if I, when I learned to get over the, the worry of losing an opportunity and I started focusing on how I felt inside and how good it felt and how happy I was that I made a decision on behalf of myself, that's when I started to feel like, okay, this is okay. And as time went by, I realized that giving up an opportunity that didn't feel right to me didn't give up opportunities that were coming that were right for me. In fact, many times it opened better doors that felt more aligned with what it was that I wanted to do. And as I saw that happening, I wrote that down. So more proof is that as I listen to my body, things are opening for me and things are happening for me. I'm not giving anything up. And what if that's the way it's supposed to work? What if we're not supposed to be afraid of losing opportunities and people not loving us? What if the way it's supposed to work is that our body, this internal antenna, our intuition or our inner guidance system is really what matters? And if today I don't feel like writing a book when I've got a three-month deadline to get a book done and today I don't feel like writing, I might actually, if I listen to my body and give myself what I need, write more the next day Mm -hmm. in, in a more passionate and excited way just because I gave myself that time off instead of suffering and forcing myself to do it. And these were the little lessons that I was teaching myself as I took one step in front of the other, that if I could just listen to my intuition, it may know more than I do. And, and as a person who loves rules and research and, and evidence, that was a very hard thing for me to do. And the only thing I could do was say, I've just got to try this and see what happens. And I love the process of writing it down, of writing yeah. those little moments down. The other thing that's extraordinary about the story is here you are with Louise Hay, who is known as the godmother of affirmations, probably you could say the godmother of self-help, you know, a legend in this field. And here she is saying, you know what? I'm going to work on this. I need some to do some more work on this. Yes. And I think that's so beautiful and makes us realize that even if we're surrounding ourselves with this, it is a daily practice. We don't have to beat ourselves up for not arriving, but it's it's always a journey. It's always a practice. Exactly. There was one day that I went to visit an 89-year-old man. She was 88. He was 89. And he had had a hip injury, and he was studying her work and um, other work in the spiritual arena. And he was asking her questions because his wife had died. He was on his own. He had a lot of anxiety at night, especially when he was by himself. And she said, we always enter the movie in the middle and we leave the movie in the middle. So we're never done. We're never there. We're always in a process of unfolding. We're always in a process of discovery. And that's one of the, as I sat there watching these two amazing people, I was thinking to myself, that's what it is. We're all afraid. It doesn't stop because we're older. It doesn't stop because we've learned all of these great lessons or or accomplished all of these things. We're all always in a process of learning and all always in a process of working with our thoughts. And if we can embrace that, then we, we can look at it as a process. This is part of the process of life. We scare ourselves with our thoughts. We can soothe ourselves with our thoughts. We make a bad choice today. If we love ourselves to say it's okay, we make a better choice the next time. And if 
with all of this, if we're trusting this internal guidance system, Louise calls it her inner ding, and she really goes by it for everything, even sitting at a restaurant reading a menu. What food is going to feel right to me right now? Constantly checking in with her inner ding. And, it, and that it's, it's as simple as that. I love that. I want to talk a little bit about food now. Um, which, you know, what I love about your work is you're saying if we want to improve our health, we have to look at these two things. We have to look at our thoughts and we also have to look at our relationship with food and also look at the food itself. Yes. And you have Native American ancestors. How has that influenced the way that you look at food? Well, all my life, as I visited the reservation and visited my family who's still living on the reservation and practicing a lot of really just closer to to original Native American practices, I learned that there was more to health than the Western medicine approach. There was a lot of discussion about healing being an aspect of the food we eat, healing herbs, you know, nature, medicine, look to nature for your medicine, and also this idea of unfulfilled desires of the soul. And we we touched on that a little bit about not living the lifestyle that we want to live and not really being in tune with what, what we truly want and truly need. In Native American medicine, these are all things that people look at. The medicine people are always looking at what is going on in this person's life. Are there toxins? Is there is the health issue because of the food they're eating, the lifestyle they're living, or do they have these big unfulfilled desires of the soul that are getting in the way of them being at their best? And so I kind of grew up knowing that there was more to it than what doctors were telling us from a Western medicine perspective. And I do embrace and appreciate Western medicine. I embrace and appreciate all of the research that's coming out about health. And at the same time, I think it's a much bigger process where I've been told and many of my clients have been told that they have an incurable illness and yet somehow we recover anyway. And this is where we get into that 95%. The genetics... Uh, as I look at my genetics or I look at a, the genetics of my client, it can be really easy to say, oh, you have this gene mutation and you have that gene mutation. But when it comes right down to it, in my continuous study with my mentors, what everybody's talking about is that it's really our lifestyle that if we don't fix that, if we don't fix the the lifestyle, the choices we're making, our stress levels, the amount of sleep we're getting, all the basics that we all can agree work. If we don't eat a better diet, we are not, it's much harder. We can't just take a supplement and make everything better. Supplements do make a lot of things better, but we have to be willing to look at the foundation of our lives. And that's very aligned with Native American medicine. Native American medicine really looks at nature to say, how does nature behave? And how do natural beings behave? And what do we need? And everything has a voice. And I, the idea that everything has a voice, the trees have a voice, the directions have a voice, our, our, um, everything that we can see and, and feel in nature has a voice, our bodies have a voice, and we've been ignoring them, just like sometimes we ignore the voice of nature. And when we can reconnect, when we go out into the mountains or go to the beach, everybody seems to feel better. Yep. And it's when we start listening to the natural processes of our body, of nature, there's a rhythm that we sort of go down to. It's not sexy and it's not exciting. 
that's adrenaline. The sexy, exciting stuff is adrenaline. I was hooked on that once. That's the stress hormone. And it's really addictive. But when we can sink down into a place of being into the process of nature, we tend to slow down. Things slow down. And when things slow down, that's how we relieve stress. That's why meditation works. That's why tapping works. We're slowing down. We're creating a rhythm. And, you know, tapping is a, a really beautiful rhythm like the pulse of our body. Mm-hmm. And we're, when we sink into those natural rhythms, this is what gives us the opportunity to see the contrast between what it feels like to be calm and what it feels like to be in stress. Right. I love that you say everything has a voice. And one of the things I took from hearing more about your Native American heritage and the things that you've learned is the way that you relate to eating meat. So, you know, moving the topic to food, I was, you know, the the topic of whether you're a vegetarian or eating meat, I feel like in the, this world that we're in can be incredibly controversial and people have some very strong opinions around it. Now I've been, uh, I was vegetarian for two years. I did two months as a raw foodist in my early twenties. I definitely went down that path. And the one thing that has felt right for me, not saying for everybody, but for me is to kind of is to, to take the approach that I've learned from you with the Native Americans. And so if I'm eating some meat, it's not just any meat. I'm very conscious of the animal's life. I give thanks for it. And it's a very conscious decision. So can you tell us a bit more about your decision? And, and here, I just want to be clear. I'm not promoting like if you are vegan and that feels right to you i i completely honor that but how do you heather relate to you know making the bone broth that we're going to be talking right now and eating meat can you tell us more about your experience with that sure and you know one of the things that that is one of the major beliefs in native american medicine is that the soul lives on In humans and in animals the soul lives on the body doesn't live on but the soul does and so when my ancestors would go hunting and they would, you know, kill an animal for a meal and for clothing and for all the and tools and all of the things that they used with the animal. They did a blessing ceremony. And the blessing ceremony was to thank the animal for their this body that they've they've given for our, for our life. And then to bless the soul which is going to live on. And it's it's a really interesting process that you know, when when we were living on the land, and when we were tribal people, we respected the fact that everything ate its native diet. All the animals were out on their pasture, out on the grass. They were eating their native diet. Somewhere in the 50s or the 60s, our food system started to change. And as I researched what was happening over the years in our food system, what I noticed was that supermarkets were starting to advertise only 15% of the animal. That would never be what we did when we were tribal people. We didn't only eat 15% of the animal. That would be very disrespectful. And so one cow could feed a family of four for a year or more. And back when we were honoring the land more. When factory farming came in, this has nothing to do with what people are choosing to eat and everything to do with our terrible food marketing practices. Terrible food marketing practices are not just about meat. It's about the processed food that is being brought out to us. We are being 
conditioned to only look for the combination of fat, sugar, and salt, and that's fake table salt, which is the worst form of salt. We're being conditioned to only look for choice cuts, which is 15% of the animal instead of 100% of the animal. All of the practices that we have today are encouraging waste in our food system, including vegetable waste. And what I love, I lo there are a lot of chefs who are stepping up. Dan Barber is a famous chef who's stepping up and saying, let's look at a third plate option. A third plate option says we don't waste anything. We take the skins and we turn them into food, the skins of vegetables. We take um, the bones of animals and the, and the non-choice cuts, the rest of the 100% the of the animal, and we use everything so that we don't have to use very much. Meat becomes an accessory to the plate. And so what I love about the third plate is it's not about, you know, the promoting factory farming and promoting the, the inhumane treatment of animals. It's about the more a more humane and less wasteful treatment of plants and animals, all of life. I'm not sure that we know because there are studies coming out showing that plants do feel pain and that plants communicate, trees communicate through their root system, plants communicate. I don't know that we fully understand what all of life is feeling and what, all, what, is, what is appropriate for all of life. And so if we had a more humane look at all of life, which meant that we don't throw away the ends of our vegetables, we put them into broth and we make vegetable broth, or we add those ends and the skins of vegetables and the, and the ends of vegetables into our bone broth, and we use bones three or four times. You can use chicken bones twice. You can use beef bones more often than that, three, four, or five times. And now you're getting a lot out of this animal that's given its life for your health. What we didn't know back in the days of vegetarianism, and I was also a vegetarian, a vegan, and a raw vegan until my health went really downhill. And I was doing it right. I was doing it with some of the top experts. We were doing experiments with our own health as we were doing it and taking notes. But what I know today from studying genetics and what I know today from studying the microbiome, our, our good and bad bacteria in the gut, and from studying mineralization, is that there are reasons that some of us need meat. There are many reasons that we didn't know about when vegetarianism really came onto the scene. I love the the um, humane aspect of vegetarianism and veganism. And, and like you, Jess, I, I honor whatever people are choosing to do. What I found fascinating in writing The Bone Broth Secret with Louise is that as we interviewed the experts who were, who were doing bone broth, about 80% of them were vegetarians who turned to bone broth for health reasons. They didn't want to eat meat, but they needed beneficial aspects of meat. So let's just talk about one of them, collagen. Collagen is only found in animal protein. When you heat up bones in some of the fatty, gelatinous, and you know, meaty pieces of, of the bone that are around the bone, this is the non-choice cut aspect of an animal, you are able to create a bioavailable form of collagen called gelatin. When you refrigerate broth, it becomes solid like the jello dessert that many of us may remember growing up. And now the collagen has been denatured and it's now in the form of gelatin. There have been studies done on gelatin for hundreds of years, ever since gelatin was first found. And so we have a lot of research on it. And 
what gelatin has been found to do is it goes in to the intestines and it lays a protective barrier over the small intestine. Now, many of us today have experienced leaky gut and leaky gut is when the small intestine becomes permeable. It's supposed to, and it, it, when it's working well, it's supposed to protect us from things that are not supposed to be entering our bloodstream food particles, nutrients that aren't supposed to be going into the bloodstream while the small intestine breaks everything down and gets it ready to move on to the next stage of digestion. When we have leaky gut, the gut becomes permeable. And now we've got particles entering the bloodstream and that's creating an immune response. It creates inflammation. And now we've got things like food allergies, ADD, headaches or migraines, arthritis, eczema, hives, chronic fatigue, and more. And so the gelatin actually lays down and covers the small intestine, protecting it and healing it and sealing it. This isn't an overnight thing, but the more we stick to it and drink it over the course of, I, I would say within three months, most people notice really big differences. Mm -hmm. And it also, what gelatin has been found to do is people will say, oh, it's not that healthy. You know, there aren't that many nutrients. But what it does is it holds the hand of everything else you're going to eat and it makes it more nutritious. So gelatin, as it's laying down on the intestines, is helping all of the other nutrients be more bioavailable and absorb better into the body. So it, it really is... I think like probiotics, gelatin has this really incredible function in the body to help us heal. Right. And if I can share my experience quickly, which is why I was so passionate about getting you on the show to share this with, with the, my audience, is because in one of the episodes I shared how I was very sick and they I had a lot of pain in my lower right abdomen and they thought it was my appendix, so I was rushed to the hospital. Uh, for surgery and they did a CT scan and my appendix was fine. They found other problems. Um, you know, they found, I mentioned they found a kidney stone and then later I found that I burst an ovarian cyst. But even with those two things that are horrible, right, I still had pain in my lower right abdomen. And I went to so many doctors to say, okay, it's not my appendix, so what is going on? And nobody had an answer for me and it was really frustrating. And, you know, I, I felt like I was doing the emotional work and I, I think I was actually going through an emotional process. Mm -hmm. It probably would have been a lot worse if I wasn't doing the work I was doing. But mm -hmm. um, because I was doing the tapping and the meditating, what that helps us do is to begin to open our minds you know when we're in the state of panic we don't see any other answer all we all we see is the doctor saying we don't know what's wrong with you and then all we experience is more panic yes and when we first address the panic and we're able to relax then we begin to see other resources and you were a resource for me and i began to do bone broths and i did it for about two and a half months, almost three months, and and the pain went away. And it's incredible because that pain, it it was painful, but it was also scary because it was in a, you know, when you, you have an experience where you go, I have never felt that part of my body before. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what it is, but that part shouldn't be aching. And you just know that, you know, it's, it's scary when you feel like there's something, there's an organ that's having a problem in your yes. body. Yes, yes. And so having the bone broth was, you know, I had to be consistent with it. I also stopped drinking alcohol and I cut out all sugar. You know, I was willing to do the work to get better. And in the grand scheme of 
my entire life, these two and a half months was not a long time. Yes. And I got over the pain and it was it was healing on every level. And so, you know, I've done I, I used to be do green juices all the time and all those things. And I think, you know, I know bone broths right now. You see them in Whole Foods and now there's a store opening up in New York and it's super exciting. But at the same time, people can look at this and go, wait, is this like the latest trend because everyone was into juice fasting before is now everyone into bone broth and will this be a passing trend but the healing results I've seen with the healing results I experienced with bone broth show me that this is something that's been here for a long time and it is incredibly effective and it's something that I'm going to continue to do for the rest of my life. Absolutely. And I I acknowledge you for doing that because you took your health into your own hands and you tried a number of different things. And I think that that's what many of us are doing, especially those of us who are medical mysteries. Mm -hmm. And I want to just say that we may think that if we were being spiritually perfect, that we would never have a health issue. And that's not true. We all have health issues at different times for a variety of different reasons. Any kind of imbalance can create, can lead to a health issue. And the health issue is not there to tell us that, oh, gee, I'm not spiritual. I'm not a good health person. I'm not, uh, don't have a perfect diet. That's not what it's about. It's there to awaken us to something. And it may be, for example, you know, and this, this happened to me. I had to give up vegetables for a period of time. And for a person who who believed in at least 80% of my plate being vegetables, I really had to wrap my brain around that. And if I were not listening to my body, I would probably force myself to eat the vegetables. For some people, there are two things that can happen when they eat vegetables. If, if you've got a... Um, a a methylation process going wrong in your body. So let's say a genetic switch is turned on and now the body isn't functioning the way it's supposed to function. The nervous system may be slowing down. The, di- the detox system may be slowing down. Uh, there are, the digestive system may be slowing down. For some people, when they eat vegetables, it can create a worse experience. Oftentimes, this stems from either a genetic switch being turned on or a mineral imbalance. Certain mineral imbalances can create, uh, vegetables have a property called oxalates in them. So you you find a lot of oxalates in spinach, almonds, uh, green leafy vegetables, especially things like kale, collards, and broccoli. And you get people juicing these things a lot, and then they're not feeling well afterwards, and they keep doing it because they think that this is healthy. And this negative process of consuming vegetables and having it create a, a difficult digestive and mood issue for you can actually be switched off. But sometimes in order for us to switch things off, we have to change our diet a little bit and nurture that aspect of our body. So for me, I was nurturing my small intestine and I was nurturing, I was turning off a genetic switch that had been turned on that was making it really hard for me to digest. And I would have all sorts of pain and mood issues and fatigue simply because I was eating these foods that were kicking off it, it basically stopped certain enzymes in my body from working. When I gave up vegetables, I actually felt better. And I also, for a little bit, was feeling we- feeling like this was weird and feeling a little guilty because vegetables are healthy. But whenever we fall into a rule and we don't let our body guide us through the process, we are um, saying to our body, I don't trust you. 
I only trust what somebody else told me was okay. And that was a real wake-up call for me to say, there is no rule about eating. In some cases, vegetables are not going to work for people for a period of time. In some cases, meat is going to work or is not going to work for people for a period of time. Bone broth may not work for people for a period of time until they heal a response in the body that creates too many glutamates, which can create mood issues and fatigue and other physical issues like bloating. And so they may need to start with vegetable broth or meat stock. And meat stock is simmered for, it's basically bone broth that's simmered for an hour and a half to three hours. And if we listen, instead of somebody saying, oh, bone broth's the new trend, you better run out and do it, and the person's not feeling well, if they listen, they can say, well, gee, I wonder why this is happening. And probably somebody has experienced it. And, you know, you can find threads of how can I cut back a little bit so that I can heal this in my body so that my body can handle these nutrients. Right. And I think that's the point I was making in the beginning of people obsessing about food and something that works for someone else might not work for you. It depends on where your body is in that moment. We are all having you know, not only is our body different, but as you said before, our body goes through phases. So even as we age, we need to keep having those moments of checking in with ourselves to ask ourselves what's working and what's not. Yes. So I want to bring up Louise Hay because you have these two books with her. You have Loving Yourself to Great Health and The Bone Broth Secret. And as we've seen already, so much of your work is not just about the science and research and the food, but a lot of it is around the importance of the way that we think in affirmations. So how did this partnership begin and what do you find to be the most exciting about it? Well, we met about it's about 11 years ago now at a nutrition seminar and I had no idea Louise was coming and I was in the back room getting some things ready. I was I was working with the teacher and helping to get the program going for the weekend and and the enrollment specialist who's a friend of mine came in and she said, you'll never guess who's here. And I said, well, I mean, there were celebrities coming. And I was like, well, I saw Kim Basinger. I saw a couple other people. You know, I'm not starstruck. And she said, yeah, but you're going to like this. And she said, Louise Hay is here. And then you passed out. And I passed out. I was like, like, the Louise Hay? (laughs) And she said, yes. So we're jumping up and down like children. And I had the opportunity because it was a four-day training to spend some time with her. And what she told me later was that she noticed my red lipstick. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, thank you, Revlon, although it wasn't Revlon, but I said, thank you. And I, uh, I, I noticed right away how smart she was. She was really smart. And she would say she dropped out of school when she was in eighth grade. She, she would say that she, oh, you know, I'm not, she's not educated. But she was naturally a very smart woman. And I realized that a lot of her smarts came from really just listening to people and really listening to what she was feeling inside. And she gave some really great business advice to my colleague that weekend. And I was really intrigued by her. She was very funny. And at the end of the training, we exchanged business cards. And she said, you have a really special light about you. And I knew that I came here for a reason. And I then thought to myself, you know, I'm 37 and she's 79 and she lives on the West Coast and I live on the East Coast. How am I going to keep in touch with her? 
And then I realized she was speaking and I can do it. So I started going and we would have healthy lunches together. I would get a hotel with a kitchen. I'd make a beautiful, nutritious meal. We would spend time together and eat delicious food. And it just, we just sort of bonded over that. And what I found over time as I got to know her more and more, and then I moved to San Diego and we started traveling together, I got a call from Nancy Levin when she was still working as the events director at Hay House asking me to travel with her. And I thought, okay, <laughs> this sounds like fun. And from the very first trip, we were like children. The very first thing we did when I showed up from my first trip is we went to lunch and she said, look across the street. And there was a big sign and it said, the condom shack. <laughs> And I said, you know, we have to go, don't you? So the two of us go, and within an hour, I'm getting back to my hotel, and my husband, who has this app, the security app on the credit card, uh, called me up and said, did you really spend $177 <laughs> condom check? <laughs> and, and I started laughing. And, and since then, he was like, he loves when I, when I shop with Louise because we're <laughs> always shopping for something fun. And she, um, she has a way of being that is so joyful and childlike and playful that here I was, this buttoned up corporate professional person. I'd just been coming out of that mode and learning how to feel like a human being again. And she was so playful in her 80s that I was sort of, I woke up to that playful part of me because I am goofy and I am, I do love to laugh and I do jump up and down when I get excited. And, you know, that's not adult at all, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I was like a child with her. And, and we, we found that it was, there was a joy and, and being together. And I learned only later that this joy or this pleasure of being childlike and being playful actually has a beneficial effect on our health. Yes. Which the, the, is why she's, what is she, she's turning 90 this year, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've traveled all over the place. She, she, there was a trip we took last year with nine of her friends to Belgium and Ireland. And, about five of us got there the night before and had a great night's sleep. And we got up and we're, we were kind of tired the next morning. And Louise gets off the plane with her friend Daniel. She shows up, having been up all night basically traveling. And she looked so bright and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and good. And I looked at her and I said, how is it that all of us have had a full night's sleep and you just got off the plane and you look bright-eyed and bushy-tailed more than we do? And she just, she was laughing and she just experiences the joy of life. And she focuses on the joy in life. If anything is happening that it's a mishap, she doesn't focus on the mishap. She focuses on the aspects of what we're doing that are fun and joyful. And I really learned that from her. And I learned to not worry about whether I was being an adult, a responsible adult or a professional adult. I learned to be, to experience the joy in whatever way it felt like showing up for me so that if I'm a 47-year-old child, that's really okay, you know? And, and what I found from that is that, that people liked it, you know? It was one of the things that people kind of liked about me and maybe it was a little unexpected because I look sort of professional when people meet me. But if I start jumping up and down because I'm excited, it, it makes other people laugh. And I think that it's to be around somebody like Louise who can embrace childlike joy in so many ways allows other people to experience the, the unrefined, unprofessional, childlike, joyful sides of themselves. 
I love that. That's a great intention to make for all of us who are listening this week. How can we be more playful? Exactly. Especially when we have to approach a task that we've been putting off. You know, that's one of the... I remember I I interviewed you like about a month ago and, and you mentioned this importance of playfulness and I had a task I really didn't want to do and I remembered the interview and I thought to myself, well, how can I be playful in doing something that I don't really want to do? Yes. And again, I know before you said you shouldn't do things, but it was like, it was a yes. Sometimes in life you have a yes. It's your dream, but it takes a little extra work. Yes, exactly. Oh, you know. So, um, you know, the playful spirit really helped me in that moment. And I think it's a great intention for all of us to make. You know, Heather, you are so difficult to interview. And I will tell you why. You're so knowledgeable. We could talk about a million things that I want to. I just want another four hours. (laughs) And I know that we we talked about a lot of different things and we jumped around a lot. Um, I want to just quickly again touch on the bone broth. Would you be willing to share a recipe with us that I can put inside the notes? Oh, absolutely. Okay, I will I will put a recipe that everybody can uh, find on the tappingsolution.com forward slash notes. And your the two books are Loving Yourself to Great Health and The Bone Broth Secret. And Heather, you know, if... I love to ask this question. Once in a while, oh, wait, actually, I forgot that a lot of times during these interviews, I ask um, these questions that I ask everybody, and I completely forgot about it. So I'm going to bring it up. Okay. Hold on one second. You're not free yet. (laughs) Um, I have some questions for you. What is one... Actually, wait, this is not... I'm all over the place. This is not one of the questions on the list. But one of the questions on the list is, what do you do when you just want to let loose and have some fun? But I'm going to edit this question a little bit because I know that your birthday is next month. (laughs) So when you have your birthday, how do you celebrate? Because a lot of times we use food to celebrate. How do you celebrate with food without ending up with some kind of sugar coma or a hangover? Do you still use food to celebrate? I do. I always use food to celebrate. And what I've learned to do over the years is I believe that our food must taste good. I think we have been conditioned to believe that healthy food tastes bad. And because many of us had not cooked and really only knew how to open cans and boxes, I knew that's kind of how I grew up. And I really believe that if we can pick some simple recipes that we love, we can make food that is delicious and healthy at the same time. I love dessert. I eat dessert sometimes after every meal. I really I listen to my body. If I want to have a sweet taste, and we are wired to like the sweet taste as human beings, it, the, our, the unfortunate thing is that the most available sweet taste happens to be a refined sugar. But if we were to choose more natural and, and less refined sugars like honey or maple syrup or stevia or whatever feels like it works, dates really work well for me as a sweetener, I like to make a cake or ice cream. And that's why the bone broth secret is full of desserts. I mean, so is loving yourself to great health. We have dessert recipes in there, some of which are very quick and easy, uh, most of which are quick and easy because I like to get in and out of the kitchen. And you can make ice cream and dessert. I make, I always, dessert is one of the highlights of my holiday meals and, and certainly the highlight of my birthday or when somebody's coming to visit. I love making a wonderful dessert and talking about how it has all these great properties in it and, and that it's so healthy we could even eat it for breakfast. 
I love that. All right. We'll definitely uh, encourage everyone to check out those recipes. So two more questions. What is something that nobody would know about you unless they went to middle school with you? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like to break the rules. Really? I would not think that you were, you would break rules when you were younger. I like to break the rules. I broke the rules all the way through school. And what I found out, and this is true for your health, what I found out is that if I was good most of the time, nobody would care if I broke the rules some of the time. Yeah. I had, one of my teachers said to me once, uh, you were on the list of cutting school yesterday. And I said, oh, so they saw me, this was in high school, they saw me leave, drive off in my big giant blue bomb car, and they didn't, I didn't get in trouble. And I didn't get in trouble because I was, I was, there were so many things that I was doing for the school and so many, I was a really good student and there were things that I was doing for the school. So I could, they didn't mind if I got in trouble every once in a while and broke a rule. And I, this is the same with our diets. If we're, if the overall tenor of our diet is healthy, if we're choosing mostly healthy foods on a regular basis and we want to go out and have a beautiful piece of cake at a restaurant and it has sugar in it, that's not that big of a deal if most of our life is is we're making better choices. And so this is where we have to let go of the guilt. If we're saying, you know, I today I feel like celebrating and I don't feel like making my own healthy cake, I'm going to go out and get a piece of cake and love every moment of it. Because this one little thing that you do that day, your body can handle that one little thing. If you're putting 10 things in your body a day that your body is having to detox and deal with, now you're putting a burden on your body. If you add a stressful job and a busy schedule on top of that, your body is having a much harder time. But if you're eating in general a healthy diet and you're working to make loving choices for yourself as best you can, and you go out and have some ice cream or some cake or something like that, your body deals with it. And it's not a big deal. Some people may have a few symptoms here and there, but oftentimes they can be Um, short-lived. These days, I mean, Jess, I used to eat a piece of cake about 15 years ago, and I would have to eat the entire cake. That's how bad my cravings were. Sugar was like heroin, and it is. It's like heroin, but for me, it was like one bite could lead to a disaster. Today, I can go out and have dessert with my friends at a restaurant once in a while, and it does nothing. It doesn't create a symptom. It doesn't create a craving. It doesn't have long you know, effects by the next day. And that's from, I think, 15 years of making really more loving choices. And it's certainly not 15 years of perfection, but 15 years of making more loving choices so that when I do eat sugar, it doesn't do that what it used to do. Right. I'm very impressed how you tied in that answer to a really great teachable moment. <laughs> but I, but we will all remember that you broke the rules in school. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one, Heather, if you could be any kind of animal, what would you be and why? I would be a cat. Why? And the reason is I have been watching my cat, Willie. He's really good at sleeping. <laughs> and what I love is that he does what he wants to do. He's a very loving cat, but he and he's around us all the time. And he there are times of day when he wants to be on my lap and me petting him and there are times of day where he wants to sit next to me and not 
have me squeezing him <laughs> and petting him. And he just does what he wants to do. And and he's still completely lovable. And he rests when he wants to rest. And he gets up and plays when he wants to play. And he, you know, gets on top of the furniture and runs all over the place like a like a kitten when he wants to be a kitten. And I find that watching him, the 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 way he just does what he wants. That's what cats do. You know, they do what they want. And we're, we still love them. Mm-hmm. What would it be like to say, I'm going to do what I need to do for myself and just trust that everybody's still going to love me? I love that answer. I love that. And can we also, besides the bone broth recipe, can we put a picture of him? Because you have the most adorable cat <laughs> who you put in the most funny poses. And I just, I need to give that gift to okay, our listeners. I'll find, I'll find one. I know that when we look at, at animals and, and nature, it always makes us feel better. So <laughs> I'm willing to, to share Willie and give everybody a little bit, a moment of uh, cuteness overload. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, big thanks to Willie and a big thanks to you, Heather. It was a joy to interview you and I just I can't encourage people more like I just want to make everybody go out and get your books but um I'm not going to force you but I strongly (laughs) I strongly recommend you check out Heather's work it's really wonderful and it's had a big impact on my life so Heather again thank you very much thank you Jessica thank you